episode number 93. Welcome to the Getting Unstuck podcast, where you'll laugh, empathize, and learn how to turn your stuck spots into sources for energy and positive change. And now your host, the creator of the Stuck Method, Shira Taylor-Gura. Hello, my dear listeners, and thank you for joining me today. So if you are participating in my online group program called The Getting Unstuck and Living Deliberately Journey, you will know that we are journeying through the theme of love this month. What does that mean? Well, it basically means that love is the context in which we are living our lives this month. Each month, we work through and journey through a different theme. Love is the background or the setting or the intention of how we are living our lives this month. In this group program, every day, I challenge the participants to create an intention, to visualize that intention, and then to affirm that intention out loud. Why do I do this? Well, because we are aiming to live our lives on purpose, rather than just reacting to whatever comes our way. And we are practicing to control our minds rather than just get hijacked by our emotions. And we are visualizing what is possible, so that really the only step left to do is implement what we create and see in our minds. Anyway, It's been an awesome month so far, and the story I'm going to share with you today was very timely because it was thanks for the focus of this month that I was able to get myself unstuck. So here's the story. My almost 11-year-old son was born with a mole on his back. It was noticeable at birth. Actually, it was more than just noticeable. It was like, whoa, like what, what is that on his back after he was just born? At first, I thought something was stuck on his back, actually, or that I wasn't seeing clearly. It took me a few seconds to accept that that big brown circle was a mole. So we asked the doctors about it first thing, and everyone said there was nothing to worry about, but that we should watch it. They said there's a chance he'll never need to have it removed, so why do unnecessary surgery, especially as an infant? So we did nothing. Every six months since he's been born, we've gone to the dermatologist to get it checked. And every six months since he's been born, the doctors say there's nothing to worry about. Until this last visit in October, when the doctor said, I think now's a good time to remove it. So we made an appointment with the plastic surgeon, that's who removes moles in this country, not the dermatologist. My husband took my son to that appointment, and they were sent home with another appointment for the surgery, four months later. Why four months later? Well, we live in a country of socialized medicine. There are many, many pluses about that. The medical care is free, the medical care is very good, but the downside is the weight, such as this. Anyway, besides that appointment, 
They were also sent home with a prescription for lidocaine to numb the area before the surgeon inserts the needle with the local anesthesia. And my husband and son were told to rub the lidocaine on his back one hour before the surgery. So four months pass, and I'm looking ahead at my calendar last week, and I see that the appointment was coming up. It was actually going to be a couple of days ago on Sunday. So I asked my husband, like on Thursday, three days before the surgery, if he had gotten the lidocaine, you know, he had four months to get it. And he said, no. I said, okay. He said, I'll get it on Friday. Don't worry. That would be two days before the surgery. Great. But he didn't. On Sunday morning, he said he'd pick up the lidocaine during the day in enough time to put the medicine on our son after he comes home from school at 2.30 because the surgery was at 3.45. But... (laughs) My husband came home early from work at 2.30 and still didn't pick up the prescription. He said, you know what, let's just leave a few minutes early before we go to the hospital. We'll stop at the village next to ours that has the pharmacy, and then we'll head over to the hospital. Okay, I said, fine. (laughs) Now, let me just pause for a moment so that you understand the context The surgery is supposed to take place at 3.45 in the afternoon. We were told to arrive 15 minutes early at 3.30. The hospital is about 20 minutes away. So what time would you leave the house? (laughs) If you needed to get to the hospital at 3.30, the hospital is about 20 minutes away, what time would you leave the house? I don't know about you, but I like to get to places early. I think I get this from my mom. I just feel more relaxed when I get to places early because you never know if there's going to be parking or if there's going to be traffic or if you're going to a a new place, which we were, you need to find the right floor and the right office and you just need to make sure you're in the right building, right? So if I were driving on my own and I needed to get there at 3.30, I would have left at like (laughs) 2.30 or, okay, maybe 2.40, 50 minutes ahead of time. Yeah, I know it may sound crazy, but that's me. I would have allowed 50 minutes to get there, even though it was only 20 minutes away. I mean, what's the big deal? You get there early, you bring a book, you hang out with your kid, you know what? And maybe they'll even take you early. You know, that would have been great. My husband, on the other hand, is the complete opposite of me. He does not believe in getting to places early. He is not concerned about traffic or parking or being late or any of that. If we have to get somewhere in 20 minutes, then he will leave 20 minutes in advance. That's just who he is. So, okay. So he comes home and we leave according to his plan, not mine, which I'm actually really fine with because I trust him and because we're going together and I knew he could always, you know, drop me and my son at the hospital if he needed to spend time finding parking. It was actually really fine 
There was no problem. There was no argument. Everything was fine. So we drove to the village next door. We pick up the lidocaine. My husband rubs the lidocaine on my son's back, and we are off on our way to the hospital. Everything is going fine until we see a policeman standing on the side of the road pointing at my husband to pull over. Now, this may seem weird to you. If you live in the United States, these things don't happen, at least not where I grew up. You don't have policemen standing on the side of the road, sticking their finger out and telling you to pull over. But it happens here in Israel, where a policeman is just standing on the side of the road. Actually, he was standing at a bus stop, and he has this speed trap machine. And when he sees a car speeding, he sticks out his finger, even on a busy highway, which we were on, and you have to pull over. Even if it means, you know, taking time until you can get into the right lane, and then you can pull over onto the shoulder. So anyway, yeah, that is what happened to us yesterday. I saw the policeman the same time that my husband did. My husband said out loud, me? As if he were talking directly to the policeman. You want, I, you want me to pull over? Me? But he knew. He was speeding, and we got pulled over. It was 3.22, eight minutes before we needed to get to the hospital. My husband started talking to himself that he wasn't speeding, was he? And why do cops catch good drivers? And we were going downhill. Of course he was going to go fast. The next thing we know, the cop walks up to the passenger side of the car. My husband opens the window, and the policeman shows us his little gadget. And he said, you were going 127 kilometers per hour, which is about 80 miles an hour. And the road we were on, the speed limit was probably 90 kilometers per hour, which is like 55 miles per hour. Yeah. So my husband looks at him and says, we're late for my son's surgery. And the cop responded, well, that's why you leave the house early so that you don't have to speed and drive recklessly. My husband realized there was no point in fighting him. He was going to get his ticket, whether he liked it or not. He told my husband to back up on the shoulder so we can get closer to the cop's car, which according to my husband was way more dangerous than speeding, which to that I actually did agree. Now, if you knew me five years ago, the rest of the scene would have looked like this. I can't believe you did this. Everything is so last minute for you. Don't you realize we should have left a half hour ago? I would have. This wouldn't have happened if it were me. This is all your fault. Look, look at this piece of paper. It has the surgery instructions on it. It says, if we're late, there's no use in coming and that we'd have to reschedule. We've been waiting for this surgery for four months and you just screwed it up. Our son has to get this mole off. You screwed up. This is your fault. You should feel terrible. You are terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I am certain 
that's how I would have reacted five years ago. But that's not the Shira that has been recreated because of the work she does with getting unstuck. And I say that not to boast. I say that to show you the world of possibilities in your life. The reality, what really happened? I was silent. I heard the upset in my mind, and I heard my mind start to recreate the drama. That's what the mind does. But you are more powerful than your mind. And you can control your emotions. You do not need to get hijacked by them. I thought about the online group program that I'm facilitating now, and I thought about the focus of this month, which is on love and respect. And quickly, within seconds, I noticed myself stuck, and so I took myself through the stuck method. S. Stop. I just sat there, I looked at the clock on the car, I took several deep breaths. There was silence in the car. Nobody, not I, not my husband, nor my son, said a word. T. Tell. I was stuck on disappointment, anger, frustration, resentment, worry, uncertainty, and I'm sure a lot of other emotions. I started to list off all of those emotions in my mind, and I checked where those emotions were sitting in my body. They were tight within my belly, all tangled up in there. And I sat and I noticed that and I felt my stomach relax. You uncover. Well, I already told you all the thoughts I had about my husband and how he was going to make us late and how this was all his fault and how he's irresponsible and on and on. But with each thought that I uncovered, I admitted it wasn't entirely true. The thoughts that were arising in my mind were just thoughts that were defending the story that was in my mind, but the thoughts weren't entirely true. So see, consider, and in the spirit of the focus for this month of love and respect, I considered that my husband left work early in order to accompany us to the hospital, which he did not have to do. And I loved him for that. And I considered that he didn't purposefully want us to arrive late. He sped because he wanted us to be on time. And I loved him for that. And I considered, you know, he tends to speed when he's driving in general, just like I tend to drive under the speed limit. That's the truth. Neither are legal and neither are done maliciously. I considered there was no use in holding on to my story, holding on to all those thoughts. And so I just sat there. I prayed this wouldn't take too much longer and that we'd still arrive on time. My husband turned to me. Why are you upset? Why are you so upset? Why aren't you saying anything? I don't know why you're so upset. (laughs) which of course was the irony of this whole story. He was so used to me being upset that he assumed in my silence that I was in a place of rage. But really, I was in a place of peace and acceptance. 
it was what it was. There was nothing I could do in that moment. Although my husband thought differently. Start crying. You're really good at that. Get out of the car and go tell the cop that we need to get to the hospital. (laughs) I'm not getting out of the car, I said to him. You can get out of the car if you want. I wasn't the one who was speeding. And just as I replied to him, the cop came back to my window, issued my husband his ticket, and sent us on our way. And as my husband drove a bit slower on the way to the hospital, I, K, okay, held myself in compassion for being full of emotions just a few minutes before. In fact, I acknowledged myself for getting unstuck so swiftly and for not causing a scene. We got to the hospital two minutes after 3.30. My husband dropped us at the front door. We quickly took the elevator up to the fourth floor and just in time for the nurse to call us in for the pre-op. My husband arrived just a couple of minutes later, just in time for the actual surgery, even though only one parent was allowed in the room and my son chose that parent to be me. I was so grateful we arrived in time and that we didn't have to defer the surgery another four months. I was also really glad that there was no animosity, no yelling, no name-calling, nothing of the sort between me and my husband, something that was all too familiar between us in the past. What a relief. What a huge relief. And what a sense of evolution. Getting unstuck is possible, my dear listeners. It really, really is. It takes practice, lots of it, but you can truly transform your life if you stick to it. I challenge you to bring to mind some place in your life where you are feeling there is a lack of love. Think of just one person in your life, a spouse, a child, a parent, an in-law, a neighbor, a friend, a coworker. just one person where you feel there isn't love between you. And my challenge to you today is to see if you can consider respecting that person for who he or she is and for who he or she is not. all of the time. One of the most amazing things that was revealed in this group in the past couple of weeks is that, well, actually, there were a lot of amazing things that were revealed and understood about bringing love into one's life. But one of them was that if you want to bring love into your life, first of all, you can take responsibility for that. You don't need to wait for someone to love you. In fact, it's probably best not to wait for someone to love you. Rather, if you take on respecting that person for who he or she is and for who he or she is not 100% all of the time, you may start to feel a shift in your relationship. And the more you respect that person fully, the more you may begin to experience the love that always exists between you. The only reason you may not feel love at any point 
is because of your mind. Love is always there. Your mind, the stories it's telling you, and the thoughts defending your stories are what close you off from experiencing love. So that's a challenge for you for this week. I know it may be a big one and it may feel difficult. And this is exactly what the journey was created for. To support you in making these big shifts and changes in your life, one day at a time, and being held accountable for the intentions that you create in the world. I invite you to learn more about this journey if you are looking for support in your life to get unstuck, to live your life more deliberately, and to live your life with more purpose and meaning. You can learn more about the journey on my website, shiragura.com forward slash journey. All right, I have two more stories for you that I'll share in the next couple of episodes that I've actually been holding on to for an entire year. I kind of wanted to let things unfold before I shared with you the details. And now that things have unfolded and the situations have more or less resolved, I'm ready to share them with you. And I kind of can't wait because they are just great examples of how you can get unstuck in family relationships, as well as with a good friend. So stay tuned. Thank you so much for tuning in today. As always, I look forward to getting unstuck with you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Getting Unstuck podcast. For more information on programs, workshops, and retreats, check out our website, www.shiragura.com.